Today is June 7th, 2015. Um, the title of our sermon today is As One Man. As One Man. Um, I bring you greetings from Pastor Eric and Jen as they are in Chicago. Um, typical to LCMF kind of fashion. Uh, I believe that they've had been having meetings all day, every day. Uh, Eric's been teaching about eight hours a day for different groups as they rotate around, teaching leaders, gone through our entire marriage uh, um, marriage counseling series with them and, and so many different things that are going on there. Um, I got to talk to Eric yesterday. He was actually on a train ride. They were in between doing whatever it was that they were doing. So we got to talk for a few minutes. And it's amazing to me, um, they're in Chicago and everything that they're dealing with, we've basically dealt with here this week. Uh, the heart of what they're trying to do is exactly the same heart here. Where they are succeeding, we are struggling this week, which just lets me know that we're tied together. The very things that they're trying to communicate to a a precious body of believers there in the Crystal Lake, Chicago area is exactly what we're dealing with here. He's talking about how that God is intended for us and we can lay hands on people and watch the sick recover. So we have Mr. Fred that goes in the hospital. I mean, this is just, this is how this works when you're connected as a body. Where one is succeeding, maybe one is struggling, but it just lets you know not, oh, look at them, great for them and boo for us. It's like, no, we're connected. This is how this thing works. We want to be continue to, to battle for what's going on up there. We want to continue to battle for what's here. This is, this is the idea of this title of today's sermon, As One Man. As One Man. Um, I, was a, I was a music teacher uh, back in the day. I was a band nerd. Um, still a band nerd, but I was especially <laughs> nerdly in my bandness. Uh, coming through high school, clarinet player. Rock on. You're welcome. Like, which one? The little black licorice stick thing? Yeah, that was me. I learned how to play saxophone just because it was cooler. So they were like, what do you play? I play the saxophone. <laughs> really, I was a clarinet player. That's what I made it to college on and, and got some scholarships doing that. And uh, with all my little band nerds, my, my favorite part of the year um, was we actually got to the second half of the year, typically in, in high school, when it's kind of the concert season. You're playing more difficult music. It's, it's very elaborate. You have to work on it. Um, but the most fun that I ever had was when I was in marching band. And so we would play as more popular tunes. You're out at a football game, and we'd travel. Um, we went, and then I ended up becoming a band director, so I literally went to every football game in high school, in college, and when I taught for almost, uh, almost 10 years after that. So I went to hundreds of football games, collegiate, high school level, a few pro games, all that good stuff. Um, one of the things that was fun is I started the marching band program at the private school that I was at. They may have had one in, in the past, but let's just say I restarted it. That's, that's a better way. Let's just restart it. I resurrected. Yes, that's what Pastor Matt said. Because it was dead. Um, so I got there, and one of the things about a marching band is, uh, really, nowadays you do it on a computer, and you, you have all these, you time it to the music, and I could actually turn around on my computer in my band room and play the song and show the kids what it was going to look like. They could see the formations as they morphed from one thing to another and, and did all this stuff. The, the, the difference is, is that when you're actually in the marching band, for those of you who were way cooler than me and have no experience with marching bands, um, when, you're, when you're actually there, though, it just looks like sometimes I'm standing here and I'm in line. And the key, if I'm in a line of people, I should only see the people right next to me. If I see anybody else, you're not in line. Right? And then sometimes you get in kind of some curvilinear form. And in those forms, I should be able to see everybody in the form because it's a curve. 
I don't always know what the big picture is, but I know what I'm supposed to do. And it's amazing if you really think about it, um, in a marching band, it is possible that everybody on every song for every move has a slightly different set of instructions. Or if they have similar instructions, they may have a slightly different path than the people in front of them. Um, at, I was at Louisiana State University for our pre-game um, marching that we did. We'd come out of the end zone and you march down and we'd spell out LSU and then you flip it around to the other side of the stadium, all that fun stuff. Tradition for almost 100 years. And it literally every person on the field had a different set of instructions. And so for those of us, again, super band nerds, clarinet players, in a college band, they don't always necessarily need all the clarinet players they have. So for the pregame, they would just make some of us sit down, and we would just rotate in. So, what, so we, we called it being a mirror. So the week that I wasn't on the field, I was the top of the U, L-S-U. That was me right there. Every year, every game for four years, that was me. Or that was my position. So I, but I would, we would rotate out and let other people get in. But when I wasn't the top of the U, what I would do is I'd just watch kind of like look in, and if somebody was sick, if they were late to practice, they'd go, Sutherland, get in there. All right? Today you're a trumpet player for the game. And they would give me a trumpet to hold. I'm not going to be playing the trumpet, by the way. <laughs> you know. Now, Timo, he could, you know, if somebody, actually, I marched trombone one time in, in pregame, and the first time that I got to practice was... During the football game, as we were play, as we were marching out on the field in front of ninety thousand people, that was my that was my first time doing that position because they were like Sutherland, go get in that position. Well, I had literally never done it before, never done that position, but I knew enough. I had been there long enough that I could. They were like, "Good luck, Sutherland." <laughs> it was great. Those were fun experiences of knowing knowing that I'm part of something. I have my own responsibility, and if I'm out of line, they could see it. I was always amazed. Uh, LSU, when I was there, had about 325 people in the marching band. Okay, so 325 people. The directors would be up in some skybox kind of setup, and they would look down, and they could call people out by name. They're like, uh, Tim, you're about six inches off. Scoot six inches to your left. And you're like, are you serious? Like, for real. A, that they would know everybody's name, the directors would, but B, that it was, I mean, it was minuscule things that they would do because they wanted us to move as one man. We were many, but we were supposed to move as one. If one person made a mistake, we would go back in after the football game. We'd march back down, back to the band hall. We're all, whew, 12-hour day, we're back in the band hall, and they'd make us watch the pregame and the halftime show. And God help you if you were a person who turned to the left when you should have, when he goes to the left or when he goes to the right. If you got those confused, they would boo and hiss you in the middle. All the people in this little ancient band room, they would, because it was grainy, it was like VHS, right? We're not talking high quality video here, folks. We're talking like, okay. And they would call you out and you were like, oh, I missed it, you know? because they wanted us to move as one man. Um, another thing that I thought of when I was thinking about this idea of as one man, um, after a while, uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. We've been married for 18 years, over 18 years now. And you're, yeah, you're welcome. 
That's for you, because putting up with me for that long is incredible. Uh, so, but we were just talking about after a while, people start looking alike. Does that make sense? Like, you stay around somebody long enough, and you're like, oh, they're husband and wife, and they could have looked very, very different at the beginning of their marriage, and 20 years later, you're like, y'all kind of look alike now. I don't know if it's the mannerisms. I don't know. I don't know what it is. You start looking alike. Um, they also have some, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen these pictures online, but there are animals that, that look like people, right? Are the people that look like animals? So here's, here's one. <laughs> Here, yeah, there's another one. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Look how happy that dude is. I look like my dog. <laughs> okay, next one. Yeah, that one's kind of cute. Yeah, that, that was looking more like my house when I grew up. I apologize, I apologize for the public nakedness in the picture. You can go ahead. That one's cute. All right? M- mouth open. I think that's all of them, right? Or is there another one? Yeah, so you, you kind of get this idea of, you know, things start looking alike, things start acting like. Um, those are just silly examples, right? But the idea is that this is exactly what it should start looking like in the body of Christ. Amen. We should start being able to operate in ways that you start resembling other people. They start going, when I see Justin Treister, I can see actions and mannerisms that he has that reminds me of his dad. This is the way that it's supposed to be in the kingdom is the more that we do this, the better that we are, the more that we actually look alike, the more that we resemble each other, and the more that we can move as a single man. Um, If you will, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Please say there when you are there. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says this. Sorry, there are a lot of, I hear a lot of pages turning. I'll wait just a second. Getting past the table of contents and such. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Uh, the pet thing there is kind of funny just because these people, you know, it's usually hair or it's some other characteristic that kind of stands out and you see the similarities. The, the, little, the cute little girl, kind of the color scheme helps you. She had her mouth open just kind of in the same way that the, you start seeing these tendencies. This is exactly the way. God has made us in, he's made man in his image and in his likeness. There's, we're supposed to look like him and we're supposed to act like him. We're supposed to portray his characteristics in what it looks like and in how we start behaving. The more that we do this, the more that we behave like each other. My wife and I have been married long enough now that we really do, and we, we have for a long time, but we can finish each other's sandwiches, right? No, I mean, sentences. <laughs> Sorry, I got confused there for a second. We can finish each other's sentences quite well because we understand we're, we, our, our thought processes are so similar now. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 11. I hope you have your Bible. Back in my day when I was a kid, we called it a sword drill, right? You'd, they'd call out a verse and you'd have to find it, see who found it first, and you'd stand up and read it. Well, I don't know about the standing up and reading it part, but we're going to look up some scriptures today because if we want to be made in... 
We are made in his image and likeness. And if we're going to reflect him, we have to know what he said. We have to spend time to cause our lives to conform to what he's already told us. In Genesis 11, we see a group of people. I'm not going to go deep into this because we know this story. It's the Tower of Babel. What is, the, what is the issue of this one? If the title of today's sermon is As One Man, that we're going to move together. We're going to, we're going to be like a band, like a marching band. We're going to be like a sports team. The reason that you practice so many plays, you practice them ad nauseum. Right? You practice them over and over again. Because we want everybody to look at the same situation and think the same thought and do the same actions. That's why you practice as a sports team. If, if this happens in basketball and we get this mismatch, then, then you need to peel off and go towards the basket. And we're going to alley-oop it. Because, I mean, clearly I'm the dunker on the team, right? right? No, I'm just kidding. Right? So you start doing these things. We see a group of people who've figured this out, but obviously it's not in the image and the likeness of God. Genesis 11.1. 1. Now the whole world had one language. Everybody say one language. one language. And a common speech. Everybody say common speech. Common. Doesn't that sound redundant? You just said he had one language. Why would they also need one speech? Uh, common speech, rather. Perhaps it's saying they all spoke the same language and they had enough of the same thought processes going on that it was a common speech. Have you ever gone somewhere in the world or somewhere, uh, maybe even the country, and you get to a different uh, culture, Got some friends from Chicago, got some friends from different places. If you get down south, you might get some different uh, speech going on. Uh, wait, I would like some regular tea. So do you mean sweet tea or unsweet tea? Because if you're from Alabama, you know that regular means sweet tea. And anybody else who thinks different is just plain wrong. Come on now. Let's just preach what's truth in this place. Right? <laughs> right? You get different phrases, and, and if you've ever been shocked, someone will say something. Uh, I loved growing up and hearing my, my grandparents, they had a lot of uh, colloquial sayings. So they would say things that if you were just to translate it, you're like, I understand those words, but I have no idea what they mean. You know, jeet yet? Jeet yet? Yeah, jeet yet? Oh, did I eat yet? Yes, yes, I have already eaten. Thank you for the request. Jeet yet? Right? I mean, those, that's just kind of, this is what we're saying. So, yeah. Now, the whole world had one language, but even in one language, you can have some misunderstandings. So they had one language and a common speech. And they actually understood what they were trying to say to each other. If you go to England, very common phrase, let's queue up. Queue up. So get in line. You're not in line. Get in the queue. Oh, same language-ish, but we, we have to get the common speech as well. These ungodly people have one language and a common speech, and, you, and we know what they do. Verse 2, as men moved eastward... We've talked about it in our church, that direction eastward is really kind of saying, as men move further away from God, as they're kind of going out of what's going, what God is wanting them, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. I'm going to settle away from God's presence. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. 
They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Why would God even bring that up? Because the idea is these people are going away from God's presence and they're deciding to do it on their own. Why wouldn't you use stone? Well, God created the stone. You know what I'll do? I'll tell you what, let's do it ourselves. Let's come up with our own plan. We'll bake the bricks. We'll do it our way because then we're, we're completely self-sufficient because we really don't even want to do it the way that God would intend for us to do it. We're just going to do it our own way. And it starts pulling them. But they had one language and common speech in their opposition to God. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. I love that our youth are actually have real life Bibles and are thumbing through them when we do this. Just a side note. I love that. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. It says this, As you come to Him, the living stone. Everybody say, living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. They've been rejecting the living stone since the book of Genesis. They've been rejecting God's plan versus our own plan for all of humanity. Verse 5, you also like living stones. Everybody say living stones. Are being built into a spiritual house. Um, But bricks are nice and tidy. They're symmetric. They have an edge to them so that you can kind of just, they're, they're easier to stack, aren't they? Yeah, but that's part of this, that's part of this, uh, the beauty of this thing. When you're actually looking at just stones, at uncut stones, at living stones being built into a spiritual house, why? So we can be a, a happy little home. No, to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, if He's the living stone and we are smaller versions of that living stone, we look like Him and we act like Him, then He can say, look, I need Nolan over here. Well, he's kind of an odd-shaped guy. I can't just put him anywhere. Metaphorically speaking. This stone is not like this stone over here, so I can't just take any stone and stack it in any place. It's kind of funny that I said it that way because it almost is like an insult. I actually mean it the complete opposite. He's not the same size and shape as me as being a living stone in Christ. You know what? That's great because he's got a place that I can't fill. I am not even in, I hope and I pray that no one is twice the man that I'm ever going to be. It doesn't take away from me being what God has called me to be because I want him to do that. Why? Because that part of this spiritual building, boy, it's going to be firm if no one's there. It's going to be firm. You know why? Because God chose him. He went, I know exactly the spot for no one. So when we fight against the spot that God has put us in, but, but God, I like that spot over there. Shame on us. Shame on us for thinking that we would know better than the great architect, than the one who is building us into a spiritual house, the one who has all the expertise. I'm going to trust that he's going to put Nolan in exactly the right spot. And it's going to be for the good of this holy priesthood. When he succeeds, I succeed. I want him to succeed. We want you to succeed. We want you to be more godly than you ever thought possible. You know why? Because it'll make us look good. Nope, that's not the reason. Because we need you and you need us. It sounds so arrogant. You need me to do what I'm supposed to do. I need you to do what you're supposed to do. I need it. It is vital 
Because we cannot operate as one man if you're out of place. What happens when you get a part of your body out of place? What happens when you step into a hole and you hurt your back? Oh my gosh, isn't, isn't your whole life thrown out of joint? Every part of you is then concerned with this one little small part of your body. If you've ever stubbed your toe, good God, man. It's just a little bit, that's non-essential. Are you kidding me? I, I bruised my heel this week. I'm walking like a little four-year-old girl, like up on my tiptoes right now. Like, hey. Why? Because I'm trying to compensate for the fact that it hurts. <laughs> I don't like to stand right here right now. It's not a big deal, really. It's okay. But if we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, then why don't we all just relax for a second? Not trying to form ourselves into nice bricks that go, well, Daniel's got to be like me, and I've got to be like Daniel. You know why? Because. No, you're being like the Tower of Babel, and you're trying to build on your own, on your own merit. That's not where we find the power of God. That's not. It's just not at all where we're going to see God's presence in our lives. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in my life. I can tell you exactly what you're supposed to be doing in your life. Your living stone being built, this is what's going on. I don't know what God's doing. I'm telling you exactly what He's doing in your life. He's taking you as a living stone, building you into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, spiritual ones, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Can I tell you that was a big fear when I was growing up? Getting shamed? Never wanted anybody to think I was stupid. Yours may have been a different thing. Yours may have been, I didn't want anybody to think I was weak. Mine was, I just didn't want anybody to think I was stupid. Somebody called me stupid. It was almost like going back to the movie uh, Back to the Future. And they call Michael J. Fox and they, Michael J. Fox and they say, what are you, chicken? Are you scared? Well, and he would do all kind of stupid stuff to prove that he wasn't scared. I did all kind of stupid stuff to prove to people that I wasn't stupid. <laughs> I'll let you know every time I got something right. You know why? Because I was so scared that you were going to think that I was stupid. I had to point out the few things that I did get right. Nobody likes that guy. My wife hated that guy. <laughs> when we were in high school, she was like, I can't stand it. Well, it's because I was insecure. I didn't realize that I could never be put to shame if I just followed it God's way. I can't be put to shame. Ladies and gentlemen, it is impossible for me to be shamed right now because I'm just going to walk in Him. I may feel insecure about something, but I actually will never be put to shame because that's what the Word says. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, isn't Jesus precious to us? But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. I hope this is making sense to you this morning. Numbers chapter 11. So I'm going to go back to my band nerdness for just a second. I'm, I'm sorry if you're not musical. I hope this, I'm just trying to drive home a point. So um, when I first started teaching band at the same high school in the same school that Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric and 
Jennifer, and who else? David, did you go there too? Did you go to Parkview? Okay, so several, several folks in the church have gone to Parkview. When I first got there, I was just out of college. I started teaching. I had a 5th through 12th grade at different periods in the day, but I had the whole, the whole gamut. And so my high school band was 7th through 12th grade. It was about 33 people. 7th through 12th grade. In that 33 people, there were 17 drummers. There were six saxophone players. And then all of the other instruments in the band were the rest of the people. Okay, um, if, so that's just bad. It would be, if you were a football team, it would be like having 27 running backs and one lineman. Like, who in the world would let it get this proportions in this? So when I started off as a band director, it was just, and we were in a very, very small room. Think about smaller than, than our, um, our former sanctuary, the kids' area over there. Same low ceilings, and they would just play, and it was loud. And I was trying to just figure out, I'm like, what am I hearing? I know I'm the band director, and I'm just supposed to start pointing stuff out, but just a cacophony of sound. <laughs> Symphony? Cacophony, right? <laughs> Playing together as one man? <laughs> playing whatever, they, whatever you wanted to play, right? So, so what I did is, is God helped me, and on the like, very first day of school, I just went, all right, got out our instruments, we started playing. It's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. Like, this is so bad right now, I don't even know where to start. All right, play it again. And I'd make them play whatever it was, and they played it again. And I still couldn't necessarily figure it out, so I was like, all right, play it again. And so over the course of the first few months of me, I'm 21 years old, I'm teaching, fresh out of college, and all I had them, I had them play all the stinking time. Because I was just trying to figure out and match what I was seeing on a page was what I was hearing. After time, one, that was one of the best things for them because they just got the repetition and they started getting better just because they played more. They were so bad they kept getting stopped every two seconds and they didn't have any stamina, any ability. By, by accident, I started making them better. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, right? After a while, by the time I, I, I developed as a, as a band director, over years of doing this, the band obviously got better. The band grew. High school band got up to 50 or 60 just in the high school, and the started, Lord started doing some good things there. Well, I'd be in a room full of people, and now we're playing, and it's much more symphonic than it was concophony. And after a while, I could just go, hey, uh, Matt, on this note, on the fourth measure that we played 37 seconds ago, that note, you were flat. So every time, would you take out your pencil right now and mark that you're flat on that note? Would you do this to adjust it? And they were like, Mr. Sutherland, how could you do that? Well, after a while, uh, I learned that in college, too. I could sit there in front of in 325 people, There'd be 60 trumpet players in the band, college musicians. We're like, hey, uh, Mandy, you're a little sharp on that. Would you, would you adjust it this way? Well, what happens is you start being able to discern. Why? Because there's a single standard that you're shooting for. We would tune. In the olden days, they had tuning forks. Boom. You know, and you, you would sit there and everybody would go, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. And in professional groups, they'll have an oboe player that starts playing. 
And what the audience doesn't necessarily know is that oboe player has a tuner in front of them. And it says, here is the standard. You, little oboe player, play this to the right standard. And then everybody is supposed to have already adjusted their instruments to be able to play at the exact same standard. So if we're all adjusting ourselves to play on the same standard, you know what it does? It puts us in tune with each other. I know, I know it's simple. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to tell you what, what God has shown me in my life. If I'm tuning to the right standard, and you're tuning the right standard, and Randy's tuning the right standard, and we're all tuning to the right standard, you know what it does? It puts us in perfect alignment with each other. Versus me trying to align myself with Buddy, and I'm just a little bit off from Buddy, but it's close enough. Right? When you hear vibrations, sound is just vibrations. And one note vibrates at 440 cycles per second. So if you're playing at 439 and I'm playing at 430, you will hear, you'll hear just a little bit. It'll actually clash one time per second. If I'm playing five degrees different, you'll hear it five times per second. Seven, ten. You start hearing it clashing. The more I taught music, the more painful that sound was to me. It, by the later years that I was teaching, it literally felt like somebody just walked over to a board, a chalkboard, and went, I mean, it just hurt physically. Why? Because my understanding had gotten where I could really zero in on what the standard was supposed to be, and it was actually painful what I didn't see it. They were like, how could you figure out that it was one person on one note and one measure a long time ago? And I'm like, because the standard's there. It's actually easy. It's the only thing that stood out that was out of alignment, so I put that thing back in alignment so we can all continue on. When we're doing this as a church, we're saying, hey, Christy, we might see something in you that will come out of alignment. We're not saying you're terrible. We're saying, let's get it in alignment. You know why? Because there's a standard that we all have to live up to. And if you live up to the standard and you're the living stone that's being placed in the right spot, I need you to do what's right, not because I'm against you, not because I'm trying to be hard, but because you need it and I need it. And we all need it. This is an alignment issue with what God is saying in our hearts. Numbers chapter 11. Let's see how it says it here. Let's start in verse... That's good stuff, but I'm going to start. Let's start in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, this is Numbers eleven sixteen. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. One of the things, one of the first things that we have to do if we're going to move as one man is we have to have the same spirit about us. Do you know what's interesting? If you can leave that up on the screen. Um, I will take the spirit that is on you. Does God go through in this, in this instant, does God say, I'm going to put my spirit that I've already put on you, I'm going to put my spirit on them? That's not actually what it says. It says, I'm going to take that which I've already done in you, and I'm going to transplant it to your leaders so that they will be in the same image and the same likeness of you, Moses, because you're the one that I've called to lead the people. If you're here at this church, if you're visiting, hey man, we're so glad that you're here. If God plants you here as part of this church, then I'm going to say this. He's caused this church to be the way it is for a reason. Am I talking against any other church? Absolutely not. 
But I know that what I'm here for is to learn the spirit that's on this house and to pray that that spirit is put on me. This could get weird. This can get that people could take it out of context and you're like, oh man, you guys are a cult. No, actually we're not at all. What we're trying to do is find out the Spirit of God and we know that He has entrusted it to leaders and that Spirit, if we're here a part of this body, this local family, then we should reflect it. Does that sound weird to you? I hope not. It may be different than what you commonly think, but it is something that's important. You know what I did when I first got here? Chris and I have been here for one year. One year. Made our one year anniversary here. Amen. You know, what I, you know what I first did when I got here? Is I didn't take a job just because I was trying to hang out with Eric and Matt as much as I could. I inconvenienced my family by not having a job just so I can get here and figure out what this house, what this church is all about. While I was doing that, I said, Eric, we have a library full of books. And in the first 10 minutes I'm here, I can't read all the books. So what I want you to do is tell me which books have impacted you and Matt the most. Because I want to go read those books. So they gave me a stack of about 20 books. For real. Well, this is about, this is about the Hebrew culture. This is about Jesus. This is about, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take some of those now. And I'm going to start working. And so what I did was I started listening to sermons that we had done here long before I ever got here. And then what I did was I listened to the people that they've listened to. I went on sermonindex.net and I started listening to sermons. Some of them I liked, some of them I didn't like. But I went, if my friends, if the people that I'm joining in ministry are doing this, then I want to do the same thing. Don't be such a follower. No, 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 no. It's not me following. It's me trying to figure out what this spirit is. It's me trying to figure out Lord, I've been in other places. I've been in ginormous churches on staff. And I was trying to be faithful to the vision there. You know, I, you know what? I'm here, and I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to find out what God has here because I want Him to take the same Spirit that was on, that is on this house and put it on me. Well, aren't you worried that you're going to lose your own identity? Nope. Because I know just like a marching band... I know that I have a part, and if we all move as one man, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be the stone, and I'm going to be placed in just the right spot because that's what, exactly what my Father has designed. I don't have to worry that I'm going to be put to shame and perhaps lose my own thoughts or lose my own identity in this thing. I'm going to go hard after God. I'm going to go and run with the people that are around me. I want to learn what this house has so that I can move with, as one man. If... A situation arrives, and I want to be able to say things just the way that Pastor Matt would say them. If, if a situation arises that we've never talked about, I want to be able to say it. I want to be able to say the answer just the way that Pastor Eric would say it. Like, wow, you're kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, huh? Yeah, I am. <laughs> because I also know, I've seen these men do this enough times, and I know that they're based in the Word of God. Is, is that a bad thing for me to reflect? Perhaps um, perhaps we should consider what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Sometimes we don't want to have that mark on us in our, common, in our culture today because it puts far too much responsibility on us. Do you know what I expect out of my children? I expect them to act like me. Now, sometimes they do and I don't like it. 
because they act too much like me. And I'm like, oh, you learned that from me. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to fight this. You're supposed to just be all godly and stuff. Well, guess what? It's my responsibility. I, it's, I have to understand that they're going to follow me. I have to understand that that's what a church does as well. It's an extended family. It's a family of families, right? <laughs> we have to make sure that we're not um, doing anything that's just parallel. I, we preached a sermon a while back about a parallel vision, parallel sacrifices, and we talked about Joab. How Joab was a leader in David's army for the entire time, basically, that David was a king. But Joab was always just parallel. Sometimes he gave incredible advice. Sometimes he was completely accurate. And other times he kind of just did his own thing. Just did his own thing. And what ends up happening, let's turn this, let's look real quick. It's 1 Kings chapter 2. Y'all still with me? 1 Kings chapter 2. I feel like this is a word for our church. I feel like this is a necessary step this week because I'm just going to let you know a little secret. I think next week we're going we're to have an opportunity to experience some revival. That's kind of dumb for me to say that out loud. But I'm just going to believe that God is going to show up. Do I think He's going to show up on Wednesday? Absolutely. Do I think He's going to show up on Monday night? Absolutely. I'm not saying He's going to wait until then. But I have some especially sensitive uh, excitement that I have going on. I'm like, God, you're really, you're doing things this week. Some struggles that we've had as a church, you know what it's for? I think we've got to get ready. I think we've got to have a hunger. Are you really hungry for the Lord or are you not? I need to get more hungry for the Lord. The Lord's been challenging me on that. You guys heard us talk on, on Wednesday night after, at the end of service. Are we really hungry for Him? Do we really want Him or are we happy just coming to church and let somebody else do all the work for us? Oh, I mean, we'll raise our hands. Yay. Are you, as an individual, really, really hungry for the Lord? If you're not, might I challenge you? Maybe you should evaluate your heart. Well, how do I get hungry for the Lord? Well, you just seek Him and you'll see. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be filled. I want to be hungry and thirsty. Lord, I want to want you more. Lord, I want to be hungry. I don't think I'm hungry enough. Can you make me hungry? I don't know how this works, but can you help me? 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 29. We're talking about Joab or having things that are parallel but not actually as one man. Verse 29. King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord and was beside the altar. David keeps Joab by his side this whole time. He's transitioning the kingdom over to Solomon. Then Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benaiah entered the tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king says, come out. But he answered, no, I will die here. He's holding on. <laughs> He's holding on, trying to hold on to things that he should have held on to long before, God's presence. Benaiah reported to the king, this is how Joab answered me. Then the king commanded Benaiah, do as he says, strike him down and bury him. And so clear me in my father's house of the guilt of the innocent blood that Joab shed. A ruler in David's kingdom, his end comes in a very dishonoring kind of way. God is not looking at us to see if we're going to have some good points of merit about us. 
He's trying to see if we're going to be wholeheartedly committed to what his plan is. He's, if we're really going to operate as one man is exactly what God is after. We have to have the same spirit. Turn back to the beginning of chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. Verse 2, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He said, so be strong. Show yourself a man. <laughs> all right, I like that. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in His ways. Keep His decrees and commands. His laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses. So that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep His promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me, with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. One of the things as I was reading through all those books, as I've just been here and tried to watch and just get to love people that are here. I wrote down a few things. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list. You will probably come up with others. But here's what I think about our church. I wrote down some statements that I think encapsulate who we are. We are to perform out there what we practice in here. In case you didn't know, there's a little plaque right on the back of the soundboard. Uh, we are a round table where Jesus is the head. You know what we're trying to do as a leadership team is really, really weird. I think it's completely scriptural, but it's weird for the culture around us. We're trying to say that three men and their families could join together and lead without one being hierarchically superior to another. Uh, that's hard. It, it's, it's hard to actually go, we want a round table where if Pastor Matt says something and it's the right thing, we all go, that's the right thing. He heard from the Lord. Let's do that. Well, but, but he's the worship pastor. Well, he's a pastor here. And so we lead together. We're working that out. That is our heart, is where we're a round table where Jesus is the head. <laughs> we're a church that puts an emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be here. We want to see people not only saved, but filled with the Spirit of God, as evidenced by them walking in all of the fruit and the gifts that are assigned to that. All of them. We want to be able to lay hands on people and watch them get healed. We want to see a word, words of prophecy come. That God would instruct someone with a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy that will bring life to your soul. That's what we want. That's who we are. We're a church that believes in masculine holiness. Be a man. Are we against women? Nope. Not at all. We just figure that if we do what's right as men, then our whole families will be better for it. I'm sometimes amazed our culture is so anti-male leadership sometimes. It's like, really? I don't know anybody. If you actually have a heart that understands what God is doing, that wouldn't want a husband to be a strong leader in the home. Like, who doesn't want a strong man leading? Well, I, no, no, no. There are men who abuse that leadership. I understand. I'm not saying there aren't things, but we're talking about a masculine holiness. When we do it the way that God says, it puts everything in order in our home. Which leads me to the next one. <laughs> the flow of shalom. If we just put things in the right order and do it the way God says, it will work out the way He says it will work out. We're just crazy like that. Another phrase that I think embodies us is, do the work. Not very scriptural, I guess. It is, but not, not very spiritual sounding, but it's do the work. Does anybody disagree with that? If you've been here very long... 
right? Do the work, Spencer. I need my brothers, and my brothers need me. We need each other to complete this. We're an authentic discipleship-based church. You want to get discipled? This is a good place to do it. You know how we're going to do it? We're going to say, come over to our house. Let's work together. Actually, that's why we do the work around here. We figure if we do the work, it gives us a whole lot of hours side by side so we can learn what the Word of, word of God is saying to us. <laughs> we're people who like the old wine, even if we put it in new wineskins. We like the authentic, original version of what God has said. We don't want to try to fancy it up in any way. We want to find out what's old, what has worked, what he prescribed from the beginning. There are a lot of other things that I could probably come up with, but those were the first, however many that was, that I came up with. Does that sound like us? Yeah. yeah. In 1 Kings 2, be strong, show yourself a man. That's what kind of got me started on that. Do the work, be a man. Oh, okay. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in His ways. Keep His decrees and commandments and laws and requirements. As written, as written, the way it's supposed to be, so that you can prosper. That's our heart's desire. Um, we want to have a unity of spirit. I'm going to do this real quick for, for some of you. A unity that we need to have here as we move together as one man is a state of our heart. It's not enough that you're doing good and staying parallel. What we want is that we all operate as one man. There's an old statement from uh, Paul Bear Bryant, who was a football coach. Some of you that you could care less about that, but um, he said something to the effect of, on a team, some men you will have to speed up, and others you have to slow them down until the team beats with one heartbeat. It's kind of like a church. Some of you, we're going to encourage you to speed up. Come on. Come on. Do the work. Let's go. Some of you are like, whoa, simmer down just a little bit. We've got to have one heartbeat here because when we're in alignment, then anywhere that God, He just nudges. He doesn't have to scream at us. He can just whisper. And we move and we know and we all flow together. Like a, I'm amazed at flocks of birds when they do this and they change direction. Different types of birds. It's, it's incredible. It's almost... You've seen enough of them and they look like it's a way, it's the oceans, the waves of the oceans that are moving and they're all just moving together. Like, how can they do that? <laughs> These, like uh, the Blue Angels, our Navy Air Force, the, the Navy planes that they have, man, how they can move and literally they're that far from each other. Their, their wings are so close together, I wouldn't put my car that close to someone else. And they're flying in all, it's incredible when you see it done well. It's something that boggles the mind, but that's what we're supposed to be as a body. That is the level of unity that we're supposed to have. We're not after uniformity. What does that mean? Uniformity means that we all look the same and we all act the same. We're not trying to make you uniform. Little robots. We're trying to say that you're living stones, so there should be some differences amongst us. And yet our hearts are completely in unity. We're not looking for unanimity where everyone is just, we want a unanimous vote every time we go somewhere. No, we're believing that there's some differences there for a reason. There are some times when Pastor Eric and Pastor Matt and I are talking, and two of the three of us will be in agreement, and the other one's like, uh, I'm not sure about that. So you know what we do? We don't say, it's two to one, you lose. We go, you're a brother, 
and you hear from God. So until we can get a unity of heart here, perhaps you're the one that's right and the two of us are wrong. We push pause on whatever it is. We just push pause because there's not unity yet. And at some point, we'll figure it out, even if there's still one that's like, I'm not quite sure, but we're going to go ahead and we agree to this. We're not looking for a unanimous vote. We're not voting. We're trying to hear and be in unity in heart and unity in purpose. Sounds kind of like it should be in a husband and wife team, right? Look, I'm a little nervous about that. Well, let's see. Is that nervousness founded out of just fear and maybe we push through? Or perhaps you have something that's valid and we should seek the Lord a little bit more before we step into something. Well, how about we just do... I don't need to vote for it. I outrank you, wife. We'll do what I say. Okay, well then be right. Because <laughs> if you're not, you know, that's what we're here for. We're going to have... We're going to move as one body. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to have the same spirit. I'm sorry, I said Philippians. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry. We'll get to Philippians in just a second. We need to have the same spirit. We're going to end up having the same style. We're going to be in unity. Ephesians 4 verse 11 says this. It was He, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. As pastor, that is my job, to prepare you and me for works of service. Our greatest desire in life is that we're preparing you and you outwork us all, that you accomplish more than we could ever. Verse 13, until we all reach, what's that next word? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. When you are mature, there's an association with unity. When you're in unity, there's an association with being mature. If I'm still fighting for my thoughts, then I can't be in unity with you. If I still want it my way, I can't be in unity with you. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Well, unity is a nice idea, but we all know in the real world we don't really end up getting to unity. No, I want to get there because it's attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why would I want anything less than that? If He's making him His whole measure available to me, why wouldn't I want to partake in His whole measure? It's clearly more than I've got. Why wouldn't I want to exchange it for that? <laughs> if my dad were to give me a credit card as a kid or a debit card or whatever, they didn't have debit cards back in my day, right? His account's got more than mine. I'm okay. I'll let you pay, Dad. Why wouldn't we want to do the same thing in the Word of God? Philippians now. Quickly as we wrap up. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Philippians 1.27 says this, Whatever happens. Everybody say, whatever happens. I both love and hate statements like this in the Bible. It gives me encouragement and it corrects me because whatever happens, I literally have no excuse. It doesn't matter what happens because it says, whatever happens, 
Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. There is your tuning fork. There is your standard. There is what we're shooting for. None of us have an exemption. But you don't know how difficult my life has been. Um, We love you and we don't care. We care about you. We care about your difficulties. If we're going to care so much that we care about your difficulties instead of pushing you to do what Christ has told you to do, then we actually don't care about you. We actually love harboring something that has harmed you more than what Christ has said. That's not real love. Because the Bible says, this is the part why I hate it, because I'm not just saying it to you because I'm saying it to me too. Whatever happens, whatever has happened to you, whatever will happen to you, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, I got mad and I spouted off something wrong. I'm just, I've got a fiery Irish temper. No, no. I'm, I'm a redhead. I'm just, <laughs> I'm supposed to have a bad attitude. What? what? Isn't it silly? Those are silly statements that we say to get us out of whatever happens. But you don't know what kind of home I grew up in. I love you. Let's get over that. Let's push through that so that whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Everybody say, one spirit. spirit. Contending as one man. Everybody say, one man. For the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. If you are standing here today, if you're sitting here today, and you've got people who are opposing you and it's bringing fear to your life, Bible says stop that. When you are in unity, you don't have to be afraid of those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. You are speaking a sermon to them when you stand righteously in their sight. You may have your knees knocking. You may be completely quivering on the inside, and you stand there like a lion. And you let Christ be seen in you. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Yep, that's our lot in life, ladies and gentlemen. We get to succeed and we get to suffer. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united, everybody say united. With Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. In other words, by operating as one man. Having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. How do you know if you're getting this right? How do you know if you're starting to operate as one man? I get excited if something good happens to you. If Spencer gets a bonus at his job and he buys a brand new car, I jump up and down for him. You know why? Because I'm excited for him. I'm just going to speak it in faith. We'll just, we'll just, go, ahead. We'll just go ahead and throw that out there. <laughs> I want him to succeed. If I ever have, if he succeeds and it makes me go, well, why didn't I get Shame on me. It shows the condition of your heart. If, if Larissa and Gabby are doing a great job of reaching their community for Christ, and I go, huh, well, I don't know. Maybe they get more praise than I do. It's 
nothing on them. It shows me. Joyce had a great conversation with somebody this morning on her property, talking to him about the Lord. Well, I didn't talk to anybody this morning. Hey, man, that's awesome. We're on the same team, man. I'm going to celebrate with you. I'm going to rejoice that God is really doing something. And when you can do that from a pure heart, not just because you know it's what you're supposed to say, oh, praise God, Spencer got a car. Private school that I taught at, you could tell the teacher's parking lot because it was all busted up hoopsters. <laughs> and you could tell the kid's parking lot because it was like nice beamers and, you know, brand new trucks. And you're like, some 17-year-old knucklehead of a kid would like wreck his car because he was just being an idiot the next day. He wrecks his car on a Friday night, on Monday, brand new one. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that his parents have the means by which to... Oh, I can't. It's hard. <laughs> I, I'm still working on some stuff, you know? I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm just saying, <clears throat> I, apparently, I still have something. <laughs> Moving on. Let me encourage you not to worry about your call and your mission and your vision. Should you have a your call? Yes, I do believe that. Please understand, this is going to be a both-end kind of conversation. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on you figuring out only what you're called to do. Here's what I find a lot of people in Christendom doing right now. They're so worried about what they're doing, they're missing the bigger picture and how they fit in the body. I'm a finger, and I want to know what God wants me to point to, but if you're not connected to the body, it's just gross. how my brain works, sorry. <laughs> right? It's just, it's just gross. Hey, you're gross if you're not connected to the body. What do you want me to say? No, it's really okay. No, it's not okay. It, it's just not okay. It is just as silly for you to try to do something completely independently of the body, especially if God has put you here. So you're going to operate independently and fulfill His will? <laughs> I can't do it, but the little trick when you're like, when you're a kid and you're, you know, oh, look, I don't have a thumb, you know. You're going to operate, you're going to pull yourself away from the body and think that you're going to please Him? <laughs> it's silly when we actually put it in words, isn't it? It's like, well, nobody would ever say that, and yet it's easy for us to do. We have to constantly examine our hearts and examine our motives. Perhaps what I think about myself is not the actual truth. Perhaps even if my conscience is clear, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4, that's not the standard. I need the tuning fork. I need the righteous standard of God to say, I'm either in tune or I'm not. I'm either in motion in the same cycle that the Word of God is in, or I'm out of cycle with it and it causes beats. And although I may not have the, the fine-tuned hearing yet to be able to tell, other people are going to go, goodness gracious, why don't you tune that? It's, it's causing pain to the body because you're just out of sorts with what's going on. Your vision has to fit in with the bigger vision of the body as a whole. And if you're here, your vision, you're calling your mezuzah. Amen. Again, I'm not knocking that, but it's got to fit in with the context. If we're going to move as one man, we can't have 2,700 little versions of what God has got going on for us. 
Well, Wade has one, and, and Christy has one. and they can... Stop. Lord, what is it that you want us to do? If I look at it as a soldier, I just go where I'm assigned. And I'm going to trust that that same thing that I said about Nolan being the right fit for the right place, I'm going to trust that he's going to take care of that. I'm going to trust that I don't have to fight for my own good, but that he will cause everything to work out because he loves me. He's going to cause all things, everybody say all things, things. to work for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. I'm going to just believe that he's going to take care of it even if I don't get it. I've got some things that I'm praying for in my life. Some of it impacts other people here in this congregation. I'm praying for things. I'm thinking about things. And I'm like, Lord, I want to, I'd like for it to be done like this. And then I'm just going, but I trust you. And if that's, if I'm thinking wrong, would you just correct me? Would you just cause it to work out where it's clear that that's not the right way? Because your people are too important. The body, this body, not only corporately, but this body is so important, God, that you have us right at the tip of the spear on some things that I don't always understand and I don't know why we have to struggle with some of the things that we do, but I know that it's good and I know that you have our best in mind and I know that, that Eliana being here is something that's important and Riley, and why do we keep bringing up the same type of things? You know why? Because we're all in the same battle. I'm not going to let Steve pray for Dee, Dee all by himself. I'm just not going to do it. Just, it's, just, it's just not in me to let that happen because we're supposed to be operating as one man. 1 Peter 2. And then we will wrap this up. 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> the biblical word for this is ehad, ishad, this unity, this plural unity. You know what? Uh, Dennis Pence spoke on that on April 15th when he came in. Uh, Pastor Matt spoke on that in a worship class that he was doing on April 16th. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, Pastor Eric spoke a message called One. Actually, that was back in February. February 8th. And he talked about this plural unity. The reason I brought that up was not was one, I encourage you to go listen to any and all of those messages because they were fantastic teachings. Two, Perhaps this is not something new that God is saying to us. Perhaps this is what He has been saying and there's a different look on it. There's more clarification now that He's said these things. It's time for Him to say, yes, all of this, and now you should operate as one man. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. How do you operate as one man? You listen to the authority. I mean, your boss at work, and you submit yourself to the authority because you're going to trust that that authority has been placed there because God wanted that person over you to form you in the right way. I've had some terrible bosses. Oh my goodness. I've had people that I've, that I've had to get other people to make suggestions in a leadership meeting because if I made it, it got shot down, and if my neighbor made it, it was the greatest thing ever. Pretty dysfunctional. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will, everybody say God's will, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. (laughs) 
as, as we used to say when I was growing up, that's just ignorant. That is ignorant, right? Silence the foolish talk of, of ignorant, uh, silence the ignorant talk, I'm sorry, of foolish men. Verse 16, live as free men. Live as free men. But don't use your freedom to, as a cover-up for sin. When you get the idea that God has created us to be free, if you use that to do what you want to do and call it freedom, what, you're going to fool God? Live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. If I'm a servant of God, I balance, it's the both end of freedom and servanthood. I can do this, but because I want to serve God's people, I'll do this. Show proper respect to everyone. Yeah. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the King. Love that. Last scripture. Turn to John chapter 17 and then we'll close. Guys, this is an important part of what God is going to do in this season for our church and for your life. Am I only worried about the church? Nope. Am I only worried about you? Nope. I figure that if each of us are doing and getting in tune with the right standard, then we'll all be in unity with each other and it'll work better. We'll see God's provision in our life. John chapter 17. Verse 13. It says, I am coming to you now but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Specifically towards the Jewish people. Has that always been the case where the world has hated that one group of people? Yeah, it's pretty obvious. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Isn't that an interesting prayer? God's not trying to get us out of the world. <laughs> Lord, would you just get me out of this situation? <laughs> That's not at all what he's interested in. Getting you out of something. Lord, this is hard. I don't want to do this. He's not interested in getting you out. What is he interested in? But that you protect them from the evil one. In the midst of that situation that you're wanting to get out of, that he's placed you in to form you, he's saying, Lord, would you protect them? Mighty God, would you keep them so that this doesn't cause loss or damage in them, but it produces the fruit that you've desired in them? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. In case we, we didn't match those two things. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them... I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. You know what's great about being part of one moving as one man? When others succeed, we get the blessing for it too. When Jesus is moving in our midst, we're all blessed because we're operating as one. Nobody got out of joint and is pulled off to the side and misses the anointing that flows. We all get to be a part. We all get to see this. When He's sanctified, we become sanctified along with Him. When He challenges us, we all repent and we're all sanctified and brought closer to Him. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message, that all of them may be one. Huh. There it is. Father, just as You are in Me and I am in You. Jesus is saying, 
the way that the Father is one with Jesus, He's saying that's the way He wants us to be with Him. That we will be one, of one mind, of one heart, of one spirit, of one motion. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. I have given them the glory that You gave Me, that they may be as one as we are one. I in them, and You in Me. May they be brought to complete unity. This is our prayer. This is Jesus's. Uh, this is Jesus praying for us. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Let's stand together. If this is Jesus's prayer for us, they be brought to complete unity. Perhaps this is what we should be praying over ourselves. Perhaps this is something that we should focus on, that we would be in complete unity one with another. Not fighting against each other. Not trying to push someone else down so that we can look taller. But making ourselves of nothing, considering each other better than ourselves so that God's glory may be seen. 